Welcome to Off the Deep End. I'm your host, Erin Monahan. I'm an anti-girl boss, trauma-informed, astrology and tarot-obsessed business and mindset coach, a writer, speaker, and professional toxic masculinity interrupter. And in this podcast, we go off the deep end about all things entrepreneurship and how to do business without compromising your anti-capitalist values or paycheck. Hello, friend. Thank you for joining me again for another episode of Off the Deep End. And today we're going to talk about imposter syndrome, which is something that I've been chatting with a lot of you about in my DMs on Instagram. And I've sent out an email about it to ask you about how you're experiencing this and what are your challenges with imposter syndrome. And I want to pose the question, do you have imposter syndrome or is it white supremacist patriarchy? So this is a pretty obvious answer to those of us who are very well aware of how systems of oppression work. And yeah, the answer is definitely, it is white supremacist patriarchy. And how I came to really understand this is through anti-racist education, unlearning white supremacy, which is an ongoing process, and healing from patriarchy, which is also an ongoing process, and and learning from educators like Erica Hart and Ebony Donnelly, who speak about this often, speak about how this is, it's false to, to have this, like, euphemism for white supremacist patriarchy. Imposter syndrome is a euphemism for these systems of oppression that infiltrate our brains and keep us stuck, keep us from expressing our fullest selves and going after what we most want. And also Trisha Hersey of the Nat Ministry has spoken about this as well. So I want to definitely give credit to black women and femmes who have been speaking on this forever and who have been exposing the bullshit of white supremacist patriarchy forever. So when I was asking you all about how imposter syndrome comes up for you, A lot of people were describing it as a sort of persistent sense of anxiety or unease when it comes to taking action towards your goals. And it's like this paralyzing feeling that you might have whenever you feel inspired to act. So if you feel inspired to take action, you feel inspired to write something, creatively express yourself in some way, publish an article or, or something on your blog or you feel inspired to put out a course or a workshop or a podcast, or you feel inspired to assert yourself in your workplace, you might then immediately get these feelings of shutdown or paralysis or anxiety around it. So this is a totally human response, totally, absolutely human and makes sense. And I've experienced these things as well. This could also show up as like a nagging internal thought in your head, like, you don't know enough, you're not professional enough, you're not experienced enough, how dare you think you are? Or just general feelings of inadequacy when it comes to your creative and professional work and ambitions. And maybe sometimes when you think about your dreamiest of dreamiest of vision, you you might not even be able to do that. Like I remember when I was asked that from my first coach, like what would, like in your dreamiest of dreams, like what would your life look like? Like, I really couldn't even do that. Like, it was actually really, really hard for me to, quote unquote, dream big 
or to think big or beyond like what I was doing in my life at the time. And there's a there's a reason for this. There's a biological reason for this. There's a trauma, a, um, a stemming from trauma reason about this. And we're going to get into it. So a lot of times I've, I've heard people say things like, there's this voice that comes up in, the, in their heads that says, who are you to dream about this? Or who do you think you are to do this thing, to even want or desire this thing? Like, who do you think you are? And that is absolutely what came up for me when I started Terra Incognita Media. Uh, even when I started a blog, because I was like, okay, look at all these other people who are who are writing blogs. Look at all these other people who are writing these amazing articles and they're so smart. They're so much smarter than me. They're so much more knowledgeable than me. Like, who do I think I am? And yeah, I actually stumbled across a, you know, on Facebook, how they have this thing that comes up with like memories, you know, things that happened like years ago or like they'll pop up like old stories that you made like three years ago or five years ago or whatever. And there was this old story that popped up of a, a screenshot of my, or like a picture of my laptop. At the time, I was working at a coffee shop and had my laptop out with my Terra Incognita sticker on it. And I had and I had written on this Instagram story, like typed out, I'm struggling with like imposter syndrome and I'm wondering like, how do you all deal with it? So this was something that I had posted three years ago. And this was before I had my coaching business. So it's just really interesting and funny to think about how little bit of the time that was. That was only three years ago. But so much has happened in three years. And I've been going to therapy now for almost two years, once a week, every week. And that has been a huge place of healing for me, a huge way that I have grown and healed a lot of this. And I also have done a lot of coaching as well and invested in a coach one-on-one, which has been which had been really huge for my growth and I I was able to make these expansive leaps in my personal growth and in my business growth. So before I get into talking about how we can begin to heal imposter syndrome, I also wanted to share a couple more things that I've heard from folks about how their imposter syndrome shows up. Um, and so they have, so people have expressed to me that sometimes the the anxiety around feeling like an imposter can kind of be laying dormant, but then it might seem to get activated when they least expect it. So maybe you have found this to be true for yourself too. Like maybe you go through life at times feeling really confident, feeling really secure, but then all of a sudden you find yourself in a debilitating spiral of anxiety. And for one person, they share that this is activated after encountering mansplaining, or they're at work and somehow, yeah, some, some cis white dude is making them feel inferior and inadequate and despite them rationally knowing that they are absolutely qualified and maybe even overqualified and experienced and skilled and talented, they suddenly find themselves shrinking and minimizing themselves or, you know, talking themselves out of something and out of, you know, out of asserting their their inherent skills and gifts and knowledge, whether that is experiential knowledge of of living in like living out your truth and knowing that what you've experienced has given you a vast 
depth of knowledge or that's through learned knowledge and you've studied and you and you really know what you're talking about and so this other piece of this could be comparing yourself to others online which I mentioned before and maybe you've thought to yourself like everyone and their mom is doing what I'm doing and how the fuck am I going to differentiate myself and maybe you're thinking like well the market is saturated and all of these things are so human to feel and to think and and I do think that it it does stem from this from this euphemism of imposter syndrome it does it does tend to stem from from trauma and from from these beliefs that have been ingrained into us from when we were younger so I just want to say there's nothing wrong with you for feeling these things or having these thoughts and there are ways that we can support ourselves to move through them and to write a new story. And there also might be this feeling and this fear associated with these things that if you are to move through your imposter syndrome and then you get to a place where you're like, okay, cool, like I do want to put myself out there. I do want to promote my work. There's this fear that then comes up that's like, well, I don't want to seem like I'm full of myself. I don't want to seem like I have all the answers. I don't want to seem egocentric. And I don't want people to think that I'm self-absorbed if I start promoting myself or my work or my course or my podcast or my business. And you don't want to come across as disingenuous. Or maybe you don't want to come across as like less spiritual because you're promoting your work and you're charging money for your work. So all these things can kind of come up too and are layered into this experience of quote-unquote imposter syndrome. And at the same time, you might be feeling compelled. You, you're, you're compelled to reach larger audiences. You're compelled to make a difference. And you have this deep gut feeling that you are destined to, to do big things. You are destined to share your work with the world and that you can have a big impact. And so this is all probably going to create a lot of inner conflict and tension and maybe you've tried the the affirmations in the mirror maybe you've tried repeating positive affirmations to yourself to counteract these thoughts of feeling like an imposter maybe you've tried gratitude journaling or you've tried talking with friends about it and you've tried getting to the bottom of these voices but you still feel like none of these things have provided you with a really deep and sufficient enough reassurance and encouragement to finally launch your course, your workshop, your podcast, or your business, or your brand, or whatever creative project you're trying to get off the ground. And so I, I do think that affirmations are really important. And I do think that things like gratitude journaling, talking with friends, all these things can be really helpful and are part of it. It's part of the healing process. But there's also this deeper understanding that we need to grasp when it comes to what's going on in our bodies. And I think learning about our nervous system and learning how to regulate ourselves, learning about what's going on in our, yeah, in our, in our somatic experience, which somatic just means of the body. Soma means body. So learning about our somatic experience can be, can give us that, that deeper knowing and then we can we can learn tools and strategies to to help that to help us heal and regulate our nervous system because that's really what's at the root of all of this so especially for those of us who have had marginalized or who have marginalized identities 
especially of those of us who have been marginalized by these systems of oppression. We're conditioned to internalize everything. We, in, we are conditioned to internalize every interaction, every word spoken, every response, every exchange. And we tend to think that everything is a product of our own failing or our own, um, like if anything like quote unquote bad is to happen or if we are punished in some way or something goes wrong, we internalize that. And there's this tendency to be overly critical with ourselves. And all these things most likely stem from childhood and the ways that we formed attachment to our caregivers. So for me, I internalized the role of the peacekeeper in my family. And I definitely still threw a lot of tantrums, (laughs) but I absorbed every single fight. I absorbed every disagreement. I found it to be my responsibility to make sure that everybody's needs were taken care of, even if it didn't come across that way to my family. But I was always really nervous and and resistant to conflict. Like I didn't want conflict to happen. And at the same time, I was oftentimes like the center of the conflict. But, you know, if there was any lingering air of tension in my family, I felt responsible for that. I felt like it was all my fault. And while I'm grateful for my parents and I'm grateful for what they've been able to provide me and I had all my material needs met, I, I didn't have my emotional needs met. I didn't have the emotional support that I desperately needed. And I was met with, whenever I was expressing something, whenever I was expressing distress, I was met with a lot of, life isn't fair, you're too sensitive, stop being so dramatic. And then I was also told that this isn't a democracy. I'm the parent. You do what I tell you to do. (laughs) So this isn't, you know, like now that I know a lot more about childhood development and and I've worked as a nanny, I've worked as a teacher, and I've learned about trauma, I've learned about how systems of oppression work and how this kind of hierarchical thinking strips the child of their agency, strips the child of their autonomy, and strips the child of trusting themselves in their own internal wisdom. And it, it teaches us to divorce ourselves from our bodies. I mean, this is white supremacy. This is patriarchy in action. And I'm not saying that my parents intentionally did this. Of course, they didn't intend to do this. But that is the impact. That That is what the impact was. And so... Being able to separate myself from these narratives that I was, that I was uh, ingrained with from my parents, from my family system, and still to this day experience because, you know, like my parents aren't actively trying to heal from white supremacy and patriarchy. They, they don't actively try to do that. So these things still show up in my family systems to this day. I'm 32 years old and still deal with this stuff when I'm around my family. And then also, you know, I don't want to just blame my family, of course, and it's not to say that they're to blame because I understand that my parents are also acting out of their own inherited trauma and because we live in systems of oppression that are constantly traumatizing. So then we go to school and we pick up messages from school and from our teachers and ultimately we are all swimming in the water of these systems of oppression. We're all swimming in the water of white supremacy. And this is a metaphor that I learned from Kenya Budd, who is an equity and inclusion and and diversity consultant based in Portland, Oregon. And this metaphor of being fish in the water is that 
it's really hard, I mean, particularly for white people, swimming in the water of white supremacy, for us to see what white supremacy is, what it looks like, like what is whiteness and how do we see that? How do we detach ourselves from the commitment to whiteness, from the commitment to the construct of whiteness? Because it's a construct, it's, it's imagined, it is, it's not real, and yet it has these very tangible, very violent impacts. So this kind, this translates to the messaging that we receive as children and in our society through commercials, through media, through the teachers that we have. And it can really seep into your subconscious and it can have you convinced that you don't know what you're talking about and that you're the problem if you're not just fitting into the standards and the status quo of white supremacist patriarchy. And it can convince you that if you just did what you're told, everything would be fine. So don't try to be an individual. Don't try to express your truth. Second guess your truth because, because it's, you know, people are going to tell you like, no, 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 that's not true. That's not what you're seeing. That's not what you're experiencing. So just totally deny your intuition. Deny your inner truth. Deny what your body is telling you because our bodies are connected to our minds and spirits and our and our senses and white supremacy strips us of this and so i want to also acknowledge that everything that i'm talking about in my work stems from what indigenous wisdom practices have been telling us and teaching for time immemorial so any somatic practices any embodied trauma-informed care or practices, which is what I'm definitely striving to do, and my approach is, has definitely a trauma-informed approach, all of this stems from indigenous wisdom practices. So I definitely want to acknowledge that. And anybody who is working in the field of well-being, um, specifically somatic wellness, has to acknowledge that our understanding of the body and 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 the body's wisdom comes from indigenous cultures around the world who have always centered the body in healing practices and who have always recognized the body's wisdom and the body as a gateway to an expanded connection to ourselves and to an expanded sense of self. And so indigenous wisdom has laid the foundations for all of our quote-unquote alternative healing approaches. So going back to this idea that in my family's dynamics, I was conditioned to believe that everything was my fault or that I felt responsible for any of the conflict or disruption that was going on in my family system. I, I didn't know, you know, I was always trying to control the environment and to make sure that everybody was okay. And it always made me feel really anxious when someone was upset and I always had to figure out, like, well, what can I do about this? What should I do about this? And this is brilliant. This is a brilliant survival strategy if you've experienced this. This is, a, this is actually a survival strategy that we adopt as children because there's so little in our control when we are growing up that the, really the only thing that we can control is ourselves. So we just look to, okay, what can I do about myself? Like, how can I change? How can I make this better? What's wrong with me? And ultimately, in truth, there was nothing that I could really do. There was not a lot in my power, in my family system and dynamic when I was a child, to change anything about my situation. 
I was I was in that environment. I I couldn't leave. If I left, I would have died because I I needed my parents for survival. <laughs> I needed to be in my family system. I needed to figure out how to how to be a part of the group and how to not be ostracized in the group because that meant I would not survive. And that is a ingrained survival strategy. So I I didn't know, you know, when I was little that there wasn't anything for me to really fix and that all of this was just a lot of my own parents' projections onto me and that my family's dynamics weren't my fault or my responsibility. So now, I mean, now as an adult, I've learned that, okay, I can only control how I show up and what I do and I don't internalize those things. I, I, I think about what I can control and what I can do in a way where I know how to separate myself from what's my family's work and what's my family's projections and what are, you know, if this is happening between me and a friend, what is mine to hold and what's not mine to hold. So this has been a long ongoing process of understanding what are my boundaries, what are, you know, where do I begin and where does someone else, like where do I begin and where do I end and someone else begins. (laughs) So, but what does all this have to do with imposter syndrome? And what does all this have to do with showing up as a creative and an entrepreneur in your business? So imposter syndrome bubbles up from a lifetime of this kind of gaslighting. It stems from constantly getting the message, directly or indirectly, that you're not good enough, you're not funny enough, you're not lovable enough, ultimately. You're not thin enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not financially responsible enough, etc. And... I've experienced gaslighting constantly within my family and also within society because as a woman moving through the world, we are constantly gaslit. And this caused me to not trust my reality. And it was a total mindfuck that I still have to unravel myself from today. Like this is brainwashing that we'll have to heal from throughout our lifetimes. And when we're taught that we can't trust our reality, we learn to believe that we can't trust ourselves. And as we get older, when we want to do something, we want to move towards something that we want and desire, like our vision, our goals, and it's something that is like kind of outside of the norm that we've been doing, or you know, we want to take a risk that it feels like a risk, and that we, we want to do this because we know it will align with our, our ultimate goals for ourselves, we might start to feel really anxious, or we might get shut down. We might get overwhelmed. We might talk ourselves out of it. We might say like, oh, I don't really deserve that. Or we might end up in this like freeze response. We might do all these things. So being gaslit your whole life tends to make you feel like you can't trust your choices and that you have to ask everyone else for their opinion about what you should do. But this really doesn't bode, this doesn't bode well for your creative, for your creativity, your creative process, because that means, you know, creativity comes from your intuition. Like tapping into your intuition is what allows your creativity to flow and to flourish. And this is all the ingredients that you need to cultivate when you're wanting to start a business. And starting a business is a totally unique and individual experience. Nobody's business is alike. And it's really important to be able to tap into yourself, into your truth, into your inner knowing and your intuition. Because you are the only one who knows what's best for you and your body. And the same goes for your business. You are the only one who knows what's best for your business. And it can be really easy 
to enter into this work and think, oh, well, I just need to like absorb all these materials and get all the answers from everyone else. And while I absolutely think it's great to like invest in courses and to get help from a coach or, uh, yeah, like get tips and strategies, strategies from people who have been there and done that. What I have learned from being someone who has absorbed all the free resources, taken all the classes, you know, worked with a couple different coaches is, is that you really do at the end of the day, you are the only one who knows what's best for you. Something that works for someone else might not work for you. So when you start a business and, or a creative project in any way, you are being called into a divine alchemical process. And only you can see that vision that you are channeling. And I believe that, I truly believe that we are, we all have this ability. We are all creative beings. And the universe is always calling us to align more fully with who we truly are. But living in these systems of oppression, they're like these systems of oppression, we're constantly up against these oppressive systems that are trying to squash this creative energy out of us. That are, it's trying to squash our intuition out of us. And so what ultimately healing is, healing our nervous system, is healing this relationship to ourselves, is healing this relationship with our spirit, with this divine creative energy that we, were all, that we all possess. We are all meant to do and create in the world. There is something that we all are meant to do, that we all have a calling for. There is a, we all have a divine purpose. And it is these white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal, as Bell Hooks called it, systems that make us think otherwise, that condition us to believe that that's not for us, we don't deserve it. Who are we to think that we can do that? How dare we, like, who do we think we are? How dare we dream that big? That is not our, that is not the, like, our truth. That is our, that is our bodies trying to protect us because we have this brilliant survival system, this brilliant system inside us that keeps, that's job is to keep us protected. And so we learned that to survive inside these systems of oppression, that that is what we need to do to survive. And so it's not wrong that our bodies are responding in this way. But now as conscious adults, we can see how, okay, maybe these survival strategies are actually keeping me from what I want. And so how can I begin that healing process to see and start to discern, like what, like how can I create more discernment around when I actually need to be in fight or flight mode to protect myself and when do I actually need to like practice presence or uh, moving into interoception and and maybe maybe into exteroception, which is something I'll get into later, but being able to kind of go into this flow of like, okay, I can trust when I need to be alert, and then I can trust to be present and to be able to discern from those two states so that I can cultivate a more aligned relationship with my body and my feelings, and I can trust that I can move towards what I want and that it is safe to do that. And that I won't die if I do that, if I put myself out there. So imposter syndrome is not your fault. This is a lifetime of gaslighting that has you convinced that you can't trust your gut feelings and your gut reactions. And somewhere along the way as a child, you were told that your gut responses and your intuitive insights about the world were wrong. So now it's time to reclaim your truth, reclaim your inner knowing, and reclaim your power from these systems. 
And this is why any any teacher, any guide, any mentor, healer, or coach, or therapist that knows what they're talking about will encourage you to feel your feelings. It is so basic, but so hard. This is a very hard thing because we've been conditioned to separate ourselves from our bodies. White supremacy strips us from that connection. And so what we need to start to do is try to figure out how we can begin to feel our feelings. And this can feel very unsafe at first, but it's important to let yourself experience what emotions are happening in your body and to listen to them. And this is not safe. This might not feel safe or this might be re-traumatizing for people who have experienced uh, adverse childhood experiences or if they are coming from a history of abuse. And so this, this work definitely needs to be done in small doses. And I highly recommend working with a therapist or a trauma-informed coach towards this kind of healing because it's not always accessible to be in your body because of trauma. So I just want to acknowledge that and recognize that and encourage you to get that support because we can't do this work alone. We're not meant to do this work alone. I have not been able to heal in any capacity from just my own doing. Like I've I've been working with a therapist and I've worked with coaches and I've and I've reached out to people who have resources around these things and learned from other people about these things. And I've gotten support from friends as I've been working through my healing process as well. So as you, you know, this is like the one, the first step of healing this is to to feel our feelings and to know that the feelings that we're feeling, the the discomfort, the fear, the anxiety we have, you know, around what we're going to call imposter syndrome when that comes up, these feelings aren't, aren't bad. So when those feelings come up, we don't need to label them as bad. If you feel uncomfortable or scared about putting yourself out there, validate yourself for that. Try to, you know, I know sometimes, like, for me, I was often very shaming of myself. Like, I would be my own biggest bully. I would berate myself for feeling anxious or uncomfortable, which absolutely doesn't help. It's so important that we have compassion for ourselves and to be gentle with ourselves as we, as we move through these feelings because they stem from trauma and they stem from a lifetime of being gaslit and, and put down by systems of oppression. So if we're on top of that, talking bad about ourselves, talking down to ourselves or shaming ourselves, then we're experiencing that double-fold and so what we want to try to do is to to validate ourselves, to be gentle with our with ourselves and to be try to be our own best friend. Try to get to a point where we can be a cheerleader and a support system for ourselves. When we feel these feelings of discomfort or anxiety around around stepping out into our truth or of putting ourselves out there in some way, it makes sense that we are going to want that that we're going to immediately say oh no this isn't good this isn't safe like if we're feeling these these really scary big feelings and we're going to immediately our bodies are going to register that moving towards this thing that we want publishing the article doing the podcast episode putting out this this business idea that we want or launching the workshop or course like if those things 
catalyze or create this feeling and this sense of distress in our bodies, and our bodies are going to register that thing as being bad, as being unsafe. And so what we can start to do is just explore these feelings. Because ultimately our bodies are responding to things that happened in the past. And our bodies, uh, neuro, this is like our neuroception coming online. And what neuroception is, is just our nervous system scanning. It's always scanning for cues of safety or danger. That's what neuroception is. And our trauma lives in our bodies. It's stored in our bodies from when, you know, any time over, over our lifetime, like this is stored in our bodies. And if, if that trauma, if that stuck energy was never able to be discharged, that, that means that it's still sitting there. So our bodies, our nervous systems don't understand time and it could be responding to something that happened when we were three years old. It could be responding to something that happened when we were 16 years old. And at any point in, in our adult lives, our nervous system could be responding from something that happened when we were little that we don't even you know, consciously know or realize is happening. So this is happening at the subconscious level oftentimes. So when this comes up and this happens, what this is really all about is, is inner child healing, is letting, letting your, your inner child speak to you. That's ultimately what's going on, is that these stored experiences, these stored traumatic responses are happening because our inner child is remembering this bad thing happened when we did this, and we don't want it to happen again. So we're going we're gonna to go into alert mode or we're going to go into shutdown or we're going to go into fight or flight or freeze mode to protect ourselves. So it really makes sense. And so we can meet our inner child and we can say like, okay, what are you feeling? What's going on for you? And really sit with them, sit in our feelings and get to know them, get to know our inner child and acknowledge them and validate them because that's what we need. That's what we needed as children. And we probably didn't get that. We probably didn't, probably didn't have someone when we were little validating our feelings, acknowledging them, sitting with them. So when we repress what's coming up, it, it's only going to keep us stuck in that pattern that we so desperately need to heal. So it's really important that the first step is that we, we don't we, we try not to repress these feelings, that we can sit with those feelings even just for a little bit. And if it starts to feel too overwhelming to feel those feelings, then we can, then we can take a break. And this is like the natural contraction, the expansion and contraction that's going to happen as we do this work is we can touch into these experiences and then we can release and, and take a break from them, which is really important to healing trauma too, because if we go so deep and we, we force ourselves to, to, to confront our trauma, then we might end up actually re-traumatizing ourselves and, and overwhelming our nervous systems even more. So I just want to encourage you to kind of practice what's called titration, which is just taking little, little steps, little by little, touching into these feelings and then letting yourself kind of retreat or take a break. And then you can go back and explore them a bit more when you feel refreshed or ready to look at them again and feel into them again. So what what we can do is invite these feelings in and we can listen to our inner child 
you know, our inner child is saying like, oh wait, this isn't safe, don't do that, don't do that, don't put yourself out there, that's dangerous. We can get to know that child and that version of ourselves and ask like, okay, who, who is this talking to me? How old are they? Maybe, maybe we can locate that. Maybe we can't and that's okay, but maybe it might be helpful to, to ask like, how old is this version of myself? And then we might be able to reassure them. Maybe we can move into a place by having a conversation with that version of ourselves, of that, of that version of our inner child. And we can say, I hear you, thank you, and we are safe now. I know that we will be able to handle this together. Like, I'm here now, I hear you, we're safe now, that threat has ended, that threat has passed. And we can handle this task, and we can do it little by little. So soothing our inner child is very much a part of healing imposter syndrome. So going back to what I was sharing before about unlearning white supremacy culture, because that is ultimately the root of imposter syndrome. This, this work of healing imposter syndrome, or, you know, which is a euphemism for a bullshit euphemism for white supremacist patriarchy, it's going to require working with a variety of healing modalities. So like I said, like I've, I've gone to therapy once a week and that has taught me co-regulation with my therapist, learning how to then uh, regulate my nervous system on my own. And, and that's really crucial for healing. And also a big part of my healing has been going to anti-oppressive facilitation trainings and to anti-racist workshops. Um, doing hypnotherapy has been helpful and just studying and researching how to unlearn white supremacy. I, w- I also want to mention that reading books like Between the World and Me by ta Coates has greatly changed my life and understanding myself and my attachment to the construct of whiteness. Also reading Women, Race, and Class by Angela Davis. Reading and studying the writing of Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde, and Toni Morrison. Particularly Toni Morrison's book, The Source of Self-Regard. And her book, The Origin of Others, has been extremely impactful and powerful. And I also want to share the podcast, Seeing White. It's a podcast called Seeing White by John Bewin and Chenjerai Kuminika. And that podcast deeply, 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 deeply changed the trajectory of my, my life uh, like my understanding of myself and the world and has been a great catalyst for my healing. And I just want to give lots of gratitude to Kenya Budd, who I mentioned before, because she introduced me to that podcast. And also the book, My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem. Uh, and in that book, actually, uh, Resma Menachem talks about um, cops and talks about the police and and he actually has said in hindsight that he wouldn't have spoken about that in the way that he did in the book. So I just wanted to offer that little side note there if you do, if you do end up reading that book. Because fuck the police and uh, blue lives are not real and they don't matter because they're not real. So yeah, so when you, I, I want to kind of then go back to this idea of inner child healing and and how we can kind of, um, you know, what, well, sometimes people in the in the mindset world, coaching world, might call these quote unquote limiting beliefs. 
And so this might be helpful is that like when, you know, you know, it might be helpful for you to think about like these beliefs coming up and you can think of them as like limiting beliefs if that's helpful. Um, if it's not, that's okay. And you can throw this all out. <laughs> but when you do encounter a thought like I'm not smart enough or I'm not an expert enough or I'm not good enough, you can implement mindset tools to give you these thoughts less power. And this isn't to say that these thoughts will go away completely, but you might find that their volume weakens, that they won't be so loud in your head, and that they might just become background noise, or they may feel like a childhood friend that you just no longer play with. And so I learned this framework for questioning and peeling back the layers of a limiting belief through the trauma of money program and specifically through learning from Dr. Valerie Mason John, who is an author, a coach, and a public speaker, and also the co-founder of Eight Step Recovery, which is, is using the Buddha's teachings to overcome addiction. So Dr. Dr. Valerie Mason John came up with this alternative to this 12-step method. And the first step is to ask yourself, is this thought true? Is it absolutely true that I'm not good enough? Is it absolutely true that I'm not good enough in every situation? (laughs) Does this thought apply to every single situation? And ask yourself, who told you that? Who told you you weren't smart enough? Who told you you weren't an expert enough? Who told you that you're not good enough? Can you think about a moment or an experience in your life that informed this belief? Now, when you locate this, when you can source where and how you've attached yourself to this belief, this story, tap into how this makes you feel. How does it feel to realize this? How does it feel to consciously think about this? And then ask yourself, what function has this belief played in your life? So, Going back to this idea that this is the inner child speaking to you and telling you, no, 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 that's not safe. That's ultimately what these thoughts are doing is that when you're thinking to yourself, I'm not good enough, ultimately your inner child is trying to keep you safe, trying to keep you playing your role that you were assigned when you were little. Because if you do that, then you you get to remain in the group. You get to remain safe. There's no threat of being othered or ostracized if you keep playing your assigned role. So you can ask, like, what function has this belief played in your life? What function has I'm not good enough played in your life? What function has believing that you're not an expert enough played in your life? What have these beliefs done for you? Where have they protected you? How have they served you? It might feel and seem kind of backwards to think of it this way like how could these you know sabotaging beliefs be serving me but ultimately they have protected and served you and then you can ask yourself okay I I acknowledge that these beliefs have protected and served me in some ways And is it necessary to keep carrying this belief now? If you were invited to put these beliefs down, can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine yourself putting these beliefs down? Is it possible to put this belief down of I'm not good enough? Is it possible to put down the belief of I don't deserve this? What would that be like? And then Dr. Valerie Mason John encourages us to ask if we can ask this belief to step aside. And can we thank this belief for how it may have protected you? Can you now ask it to step aside if you believe it's no longer serving you or no longer necessary to carry? And what arises in your body as you ask this belief to step aside? You might not be able to do this. It might take a couple times. It might take some time to do this, to practice this, but it's a practice. And practice doesn't make perfect. I don't believe in perfection. It's, that's a, a characteristic of white supremacy culture, but I do believe that practice makes practice. <laughs> you become practiced when you practice, and that's really all we can ask of ourselves. We can create new neural pathways because our brains are malleable, and that's what neuroplasticity is all about. And so what this is, is it's just we're practicing new beliefs. We're practicing new neural pathways to be formed. So then you can ask yourself, what do you want to believe instead of this other limiting belief? Instead of believing I'm not good enough, what do you want to believe instead? What belief would you like to replace it with? So the thing about our beliefs and the stories that we hold about ourselves is that they, like us, like our lives, do not live in a vacuum. They're informed by our society at large. Our beliefs are a reflection of systemic issues. So when you encounter a limiting belief or a story that you've been holding on to your whole life or a narrative, understand that this is not proof of your personal shortcoming. It's not your fault that you've inherited and internalized these toxic messages. So as you peel back the layers of your limiting beliefs, it's important to be gentle on yourself and go easy on yourself and to develop a deep well of compassion for yourself. Because this is really hard and painful work. Because this is, this is the work of healing from trauma, the trauma of white supremacy, of patriarchy, of colonialism, and of capitalism. And doing this will help us to come back to ourselves, to return to ourselves, to help us to get clear with ourselves so we can make discerning choices about where we can go from here. And then what you learn and how you heal will be a gift that you can pass on to others in your life and those that you work with. So I hope this was helpful, friends, and I just want to remind you that this is not an overnight process, but slowly that you can deprogram yourself out of imposter syndrome. And I absolutely still struggle with this today, 
but it's not, you know, it's not like one day you're going to wake up and be fully rid of it because systems of oppression are constantly brainwashing us into believing that we don't deserve to live a vibrant life and they are constantly trying to to beat us down and so ultimately like this is a lifetime process and what I'm hoping that you can start to create for yourself is more of what's called felt sense and a new relationship with your body and your external and internal reality felt sense is a concept that comes from Eugene Genlin and it's the word that that Genlin coined to refer to the experience of something within the body even before we can name or explain what that experience is and so this is extremely essential in when you know you're working through your healing process to be able to reference the experiences and the shifts that are happening in your body so ultimately all this is is in an effort to cultivate your own felt sense and what I believe is this connection to spirit and to your intuition. So the, your body is never wrong. And it, it's always telling you things that are important for you to know. And it's important for us to start to listen to our bodies and to develop that relationship with our bodies. And we can become open and and get curious about what our bodies are trying to tell us because they are a source of wisdom and inspiration so yeah systems of oppression are real and they are constant and we have to be diligent about challenging these narratives in our minds and and at the same time extremely gentle with ourselves as we do this and if you have a day where the intrusive thoughts are overwhelming and they're just non-stop just remember to be kind to yourself your process is, is going to have episodes of expansion and contraction and ups and downs, and you deserve compassion and gentleness because this is a non-linear journey. So please give yourself the gift of recognizing your own humanity as you heal and just try to ask yourself, what do you need in this moment? And just see if you can give yourself what you needed but maybe didn't receive as a child so i'm sending you so much love and encouragement towards healing and towards your growth as a creative and as an entrepreneur and towards building your most aligned business if that's what you want to do that allows you to be your fully expressed and vibrant self because i believe that everyone deserves that and you deserve that so i will talk to you next time And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day or evening, whatever time it is for you when you're listening. (laughs) All right. Talk to you next time.